Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parenting complex kids. And we are, we are here today with another episode of Parenting with Impact, What Your Kids Wish You Knew. Our guest today is this spectacularly fabulous Leighton Katz, whom I have known literally all of her life, um, more so than most humans. And I am really excited to welcome her here today to have this conversation with us about what she wishes and to help us understand what we need to know to help our kids in a different way. Um, so Leighton, I'm going to let you introduce yourself and then we'll sort of dive in. Cool. Sounds good. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Leighton. I'm 19 years old. I grew up in Atlanta and moved to Maryland when I was about 14. I graduated high school in 2017, and um, I'm currently on a year off from school, uh, traveling and doing some coursework to get ahead, um, working and trying to figure out how to best live my life. So, Yep. Awesome. And doing an awesome job of it, I might add. So we're talking about what it means to be complex. So the first question I want to run by you is, is sort of what makes you complex? What makes you what, what you know I would refer to as one of my complex kids, right? What is it about you that makes you complex? So from a pretty young age, I'd say like 12, I started showing symptoms of depression and anxiety, which is the first, like, which were the first like diagnoses that I got. And that showed up in a lot of different ways. I kind of didn't get excited by the same things that other kids got excited by or got excited by things that other kids didn't get excited by, Mm -hmm. um, felt really anxious in academic environments and um, around authority figures. I find it difficult to focus um, on one project for too long. I tend to get distracted really easily. I think mostly because I now get excited by a lot of different things. So it's hard for me to like stay on one track when there are other things that I want to pay attention to. I so so can I stop you there for a second and yeah. just go back a little bit because what you said is is these these issues started showing up when you were about twelve and sort of initially diagnosed as anxiety and depression, which is yeah. sort of a common theme. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you said was uh, challenging issues with school issues, but also around authority. Can you say a little bit more about what that looked like? Yeah, I think 
it got more intense when I went to boarding school and a lot of what the staff members and faculty were doing, I didn't agree with. And so I found it really hard to follow their orders when I thought that they were unethical or unjust or didn't really reflect the values that I tried to like uphold. And also in general, I think it's hard for me to do things that I don't particularly want to do. And a lot of the things that I don't want to do, those orders come from people in authority positions. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that I associate those figures with kind of like this annoying obligation that I have and typically don't want to do. So it's hard to get yourself to do things you don't want to do, right? especially when that sort of comes from some outside expectation or authority. What about when there's something you do kind of want to do, but still, do you still struggle with getting yourself to do stuff that you want, but it's still hard? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I struggle a lot with getting started on things. I'll put off starting for, you know, until a week before an assignment's due just because I tend to like lean towards perfectionism. So I think that mm-hmm. a lot of my anxiety comes around like wanting everything to be the best. And the beginning of a project or an assignment is usually like, or it seems to me to be the most important because it sets the precedent for the rest of it. So I think that I like want things to be the best. And I also like find it hard to know where to start just because there's so much to do. Um, mm-hmm. So that seems daunting to me. So there are a lot of pieces to getting started. It's knowing where to start. It's making sure you want to do it well. And that's interesting because you have this, you want to do it and do it well. And somehow by wanting to do it well, sometimes it makes it hard to do it at all. Right. Exactly. Right. And so the adults may be thinking you don't care. And the truth is actually you care really deeply. Yeah. <laughs> like too much almost. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there are a couple of different directions we could go, and I want to sort of I want to let you tell us the rest of your story, and then I want to go back and sort of look at what was different when you were younger versus as you got older. So keep going with your story. So high school years. Yeah, high school was, well, backtracking, I guess, to grade school. Uh, I was always in, like, gifted classes, I think starting in, like, first or second grade, honestly, and always did really well in school, mostly because I was doing a lot of reading on my own. And the information just came naturally to me. I had a really good knack for like retaining and absorbing information and still do, I think. But back then it didn't really take a lot of effort. So I never really developed good study habits. I never really learned how to study um, because I didn't really need to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got to high school and it became a necessity because the actual like the stuff I was learning required, you know, outside studying and just like a more of an effort. So it was no longer just relying on your intelligence, but you then had to bring organizational skills in and study skills in. Exactly. So high school, I still managed to get what I needed to get done, done. So I went to boarding school when I was 15. It was a therapeutic boarding school. And there not only did my opposition to authority like skyrocket, but the actual academics were not the priority. The priority was like, you know, the therapy. So the academics were really easy to me and I didn't pay attention to them. And it was my sophomore and junior year of high school, the years that are supposed to be the most difficult and rigorous and the ones that are supposed to set you up for college. 
And so I came back from boarding school my senior year and was totally taken aback by the amount of work that I was expected to do that I didn't know how to do. So I think a lot of that just, there was peaks and troughs and I kind of floated for a while and then realized that that wasn't going to work anymore. Well, and what really strikes me again is this, there's this, there's sort of a few components to being able to be successful at school, right? Like you have the cognitive ability, you're clearly bright, smart enough, and you have to have the organizational ability and the study skills and know how to do it. And then you have to have the emotional management. Right. And kind of all three of those are required to be successful. But if you've only been focused or learning around one or two of them, then you're kind of at loss. Yeah, I think that's that's what happened is I was pretty good with the like actual knowledge of the information and the like emotional maturity to like know that what I was doing was not working, but the middle, the middle piece of the actual functioning, I, I, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to be a functioning student or, you know, prioritize studying over my own personal interests. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. So, and I'm going to come back, we'll come back and pick up here in a minute, but, but I do want to sort of go back and say, so it, in hindsight, do you look back to, can you see anything that, that might have been clues in those early years, in that first dozen years before you were diagnosed, that you look back and now go, oh, had I known that then, or had I paid attention to that then, we would have figured it out earlier. Were there any earlier signs that, that we kind of missed? I think from a, like pretty much as soon as I could talk, I was like a complete perfectionist. I wanted to appear perfect and put together and on top of everything. And that led me to like have this expectation of myself of perfection. And it was easy to do when I was younger and I did have a grasp on things. And then when I got older, even still in elementary school, I think, but maybe like nine or 10 and I started to struggle with things. I felt like I had this expectation that had been put on me, even though I put it on myself, I felt like I had a duty to my parents and my peers Uh, my teachers to maintain that like air of perfection. So I kept a lot of things to myself and started hiding and lying to, you know, keep up that facade. Um, Well, what really jumps at me from what you're saying is that you put it on yourself, but then the adults in your life sort of begin to respond to you the way that you set yourself up. Right. So, and I was one of the adults in your life in those years, right? Like, you become the kid that looks like I've got it all under control. I can handle it. And so the adults start assuming you got it under control and you can handle it. And so when you start struggling, there's kind of no place to say, Hey, right. I'm having a hard time. All of this, you know, positive feedback and affirmation and it feels good. So I want to keep going with that. And I don't want to have to admit to myself that I'm struggling because then I don't get the, the affirmation and the feedback. Right. So we've got sort of a grasp of your story and sort of what got you to where you are now. What helps you manage now? I think I'm kind of unique for this group in that I've done a lot of like formal treatment for my like problems. Issues. Right. Um, So I have a lot of like DBT skills that I use, like everything from like tip to just like radical acceptance. And so I guess like I will go outside for a walk if I'm feeling overwhelmed or stressed. I um, 
journal a lot about, I think that really helps with like organizing my thoughts and figuring out like what's important to me at a particular moment. And I think like the most important thing that I do is like when I have a task to do and I need to take a break from it because that's the reality is like, I can't work on one thing for like hours on end. Um, I need to take like breaks between. So I think having something else productive that I'm also working on to like distract myself with helps me a lot because if I distract myself with something that's unproductive, then I get into like a rabbit hole. But if there's like two assignments that I have to be working on or two books that I want to be reading, then being able to like go back and forth between two productive things, like still kind of like feeds my like short attention span, but also I'm still being productive. So there's actually a term for it. It's called double tasking. Or I don't know if that's a term that I created or somebody else, but I know I've written about it. But that notion of like, okay, move from one task to the other. And when you get tired of that, go back to this. Yeah. Um, it's a really effective strategy for people who struggle with executive function in particular. Yeah. So that works well for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anything else? I think also just like recognizing that I just don't function the way other people do and adjusting my expectations of myself accordingly not expecting myself to be able to complete an assignment in like increments like that are, I guess, well adjusted to the intensity or the rigor of the assignment. Just, just knowing that maybe I just work better when I procrastinate till the last week or the last day or something that also helps me and it lowers my expectations. So when I do react a certain way to a problem or an a challenge, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense because I know that I work this way. So you're, you're really giving yourself permission to be who you are and, and respecting your brain wiring, if you will, without sort of judging yourself for it. Yeah. Exactly. What I'm really hearing is like, okay, this is who I am. So, and I think the term you used was radical acceptance. Yeah, exactly. All right. This is it. That's um, it. So, and when you figure that out and you accept that and you know yourself, then you can really be your best self. But it's mm-hmm. really hard to, to even begin to move towards being your best self if you don't know who you are. Exactly. Yep. That's, I think that's the key is also just like being able to celebrate like when I do succeed because that's like, at least to me, like that's the most important thing about all of this is being able to like feel proud because that also sets me up for like being successful in the future because you want to like recreate that feeling of pride. So you want to do well and you want other people to be proud of you, or at least I do. So, yeah. And be proud of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which is key. Okay. So let's look back for a minute and say uh, with a little bit of hindsight, right? So if you look back now from this, from this vantage point with a lot of self-awareness and a lot of emotional intelligence, what do you wish that the adults in your life had known or understood when you were younger that might've altered the course or helped you earlier? Hmm. I think from my depression, like self and my executive functioning self, there are like two major things. I think with the depression, just, I wish that my parents had known that like I was trying my best and I also know or knew that they were trying their best. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was all we could do. That's all we did because that's all we could do. Um, So acknowledging that and being able to 
recognize the limitations of it. Just that it wasn't enough for me to be doing my best and for them to be doing their best. Like I needed the therapy and the support and the treatment and it's nothing to be ashamed of or it's, and it's nothing to like regret or feel bad about. It's not like cheating. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So and to other, um, go ahead. from the executive functioning standpoint, I think I wish I had been challenged more, like actually challenged when I was younger and like set myself up for success and for good study habits. Um, and then I think I quit a lot of things when I was younger and I wish that my parents hadn't let me do that because that also, I guess I registered that it was okay for me to like not complete things. Um, so you quit because it got hard. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, and now I have a lot of trouble like pushing through that feeling of this is too hard. Um, it would just be easier if I quit, like it's not worth it anymore. I'm not having fun or I, I don't agree with it anymore, um, mm-hmm. which poses a lot of conflict. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really building that resilience early. I'm curious if you had been given the steady skills of the executive function support early, do you think you would have used it? It's hard to tell. Um, I think that a big part of any of this is just being willing to like take in the information and take in the process. And I don't know if I would have been open to it because I'm stubborn. I'm a Taurus. Um, (laughs) So I think that I could have, but there's no way to tell um, if I would have like actually retained the information and used it to my advantage. Right. But I think what I hear you saying is that if you, if you've been challenged with some skills around it and or challenged to stick with something when it got hard, right. That that could have, could have had a better impact for you. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So what messages do you have for for kids who might be listening to this right now? Well, I know that what I wish I had known when I was like really going through it. I mean, I still am like, yeah, I mean, when it was at its most intense and I also didn't have the skills that I have now, just that I'm not like, or I guess you're not broken. There's nothing that needs to be fixed about you there's nothing wrong with the way you think and the way you function and like the things you're passionate about and what you believe in. It's just different. I mean, we're all different in our own ways. And just because that, like, I guess just because you don't like get lucky in the world, the way like some people seem to, or the way I like perceive some people just like seem to get it and just know that like, you're going to have to work harder than other kids because of the way you think and because of the way you believe, but also it's not a bad thing. It's not something you should feel ashamed of or try to hide. It's actually an advantage if you can channel it and control it and work with it in a way that works for you. Um, How is it an advantage? I think it's creative. It's opened a lot of doors of creativity for me. I think the way I think is unique and is more intuitive than a lot of other people. I feel more connected to people because I think that, I mean, like I overthink all the time. I'm always thinking, but with that comes a, I guess a deeper perception and perspective about the way the world works that allows you to approach problems and conflicts with a more creative and open-minded and empathetic perspective. 
That was just beautifully said. (laughs) It's a great way to put it. I I think you've captured it beautifully because it really is. You think all the time and some of what you're thinking is fascinating and fabulous and creative and and innovative. and, And if you can sort of harness that, wow, what the gift can be from that. Yeah. So I guess that's the last thing I would say is just try and find a creative outlet. For me, it's like writing and playing music and just randomly journaling. It doesn't have to be anything you show other people, but I think it's just a really good way to organize your thoughts in a way that makes sense to you and like only you. Um, That's really helped me. And it's also fun and something to be proud of too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. So we have one last moment. What's your final message to parents? What do you, what do you want parents out there to know who may be raising complex kids? What do they need to hear from you? I think you also have an advantage in that because of what you've gone through and will go through probably for the rest of your life is a heightened sense of awareness about other people. And so therefore like the empathy comes with that too and the intuition. And I think just be patient with your kid. They're trying. And again, they know you're trying. It's really hard for kids to communicate exactly what they're feeling at all times to anyone, especially like their parents who sometimes, you know, they don't have great relationships with or want to keep things from. And yeah, um, yeah, I guess just listen to your kid, trust your kid and support them in any way you can. And don't feel weird about asking for support from other people too. Don't feel like you failed as a parent because your kid takes a little extra time or needs a little extra loving. I know that it can seem like, there's something you did that like could have changed it or changed it, but like you did the best with what you had. Yeah. So I I go back to that notion of radical acceptance, right? Radical acceptance of our kids and radical acceptance of ourselves. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So what a great place to close this conversation, Leighton. Thank you for sharing yourself with parents and kids who have complex issues themselves. I really appreciate your being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, So our guest has been the fabulous Leighton Katz. And I want to thank you for joining us for Parenting with Impact, What Your Kids Wish You Knew, and remind you that there's tons of resources available for you, for parents, for educators on impactadhd.com. And we hope you'll tune in next time and we will talk to you soon. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.